Well, hey, we have uh, another just gigantic privilege, honor, whatever we want to call it today. Um, if you've been to Living Hope before, you followed our story, you know one of my passions is 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, where it says, commit the word to faithful men who may be able to teach others also. And I have a deep passion, and I feel like it's part of God's calling on my life is to raise up other gospel preachers, people who can proclaim the word of God. And so we have the blessing today to hear God's word preached from one of my best friends on the planet, Scott Conover. Um, Scott's been one of our interns for about the last year, so a little over a year. Um, he came into to our story and into the life of this church. And um, one of the things that I just think about Scott is to know Scott is to love Scott. Um, if you're part of Living Hope, you can always count on Scott just kind of being around and smiling and talking to you, probably about Broadway, but he just talked to anybody. <laughs> he just loves people. And Scott, for the last three months, has worked very closely with Pastor Joe and I um, to craft this message from Romans 1, starting in verse 28. Um, he has practiced this many, many times, just trying to fine-tune what God wanted to speak to us this morning. I read in my Bible reading Proverbs uh, 15, verse 23, where Solomon wrote, he said, a, a timely word, how good is that? And I believe that Scott has come this morning, and he's going to give us a timely word. And so, Scott, I'm going to have you come up here. I'm going to pray for you in just a second. But um, two things that, to know about Scott, a guest this morning. Um, number one, Scott is a dreamer. Scott doesn't see limits when it comes to what God could do, and that's what I love about him. I, I, I'm pretty sure every time we interact, Scott's like, Dude, I got this crazy thing, and he pitches it to me, and I'm like, ah, we could probably do that, and then sometimes he just goes, Scott had a dream to start FCAs in some of our schools here locally, and he started one, and now he's got another one started. And like three weeks ago, he comes to me. He says, hey, Aaron, I got an important meeting coming up Wednesday. Do you want to be there? I'm like, with who? He gives this guy's name. I'm like, I don't even know who that is. He's like, oh, it's the director of FCA for the entire state of Ohio. How did you do that, Scott? I don't know. I just did. <laughs> so we go to this lunch, and he introduces me to this guy. I mean, hundreds and hundreds of people at this lunch. And the director of FCA for the entire state of Ohio is talking to let's be honest, some pretty high donors for FCA off to the side about some pretty important business. And this dude, he's right on into the conversation and just starts talking to him. But that's who Scott is. He's not afraid to take a risk for Jesus, and I love that about him. And the other thing that you know about Scott is he loves Jesus so much. I, every time I interact with him, the only way to phrase this, and I thought about this this morning, doesn't care what you think about him. He just wants to make Jesus happy. And he's going to do whatever he has to to do that. And so, church, I believe we're going to be blessed this morning as Scott continues our series in Romans. It's been several weeks since we've been here. But I think you'll quickly see the problem of sin and the sufficiency of our Savior through the word that Scott's going to bring this morning. So I'm going to pray for you. God, we love you. I thank you for my friend. God, I pray this morning as he proclaims your word, that he would proclaim it in a confidence, not because of his own abilities, but, Lord, in the sufficiency of the Savior that we know is Jesus. God, I pray that your word would convict us of sin, that it would draw us into a deeper relationship with Jesus, that, God, that we would be a people of grace and encouragement. God, listening to this young man proclaim the word of God to us this morning. So use him in a powerful way. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
So a, a couple of you asked me this morning if I was nervous. I was more nervous about getting up those steps and not falling than I was about that. <laughs> but uh, if you guys wouldn't mind going ahead and opening up to Romans 128 through 32. Um, like Aaron said, my name is Scott. I'm one of the interns here at Living Hope Church in Columbus. Um, if you don't know who I am, I'm shocked because I don't stop talking around here. I literally don't. But really, if you don't know who I am, like Aaron said, I'm going to sum it up in two words, Broadway and FCA. Yes, I like Broadway. Those are two of my favorite things. And if you haven't heard me talk about it, I promise you if you stick around for two minutes after church, you're going to hear me say something about them. On a real note, though, I wouldn't be standing up here if it weren't for Joe and Aaron pushing me to do things outside of my comfort zone. Um, not to be rude, but all of you are not teenagers, and my comfort zone is speaking in a youth group, not speaking up here. Like I said, not to be rude. Some, if not all of you, are probably older than I am, and that's just really intimidating. So, But let's look at our text today. If you would stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. Romans 1, 28-32 says, And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind, so that they do what is not right. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us be here together. Thank you for letting us dive into your word. I pray that you're with me as we dive into the message today, and I, I thank you for just being the just and sovereign God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can all have a seat. So to review where we've been in Romans, let's ask this question. How did we get here? We've now been in Romans for eight weeks, and sev several weeks ago, we started this downhill climb or downward spiral into God's wrath as a result of humanity's sin. Paul took this, pass this massive turn in explaining um, the gospel, where Paul started to give us the bad news. As we learned several weeks ago, for the good news to have its full effect, we have to understand the bad news of God's wrath and our sin first. We learn that we are without excuse. We know that not one human being has a reason to not acknowledge that there is a God. As a reminder of this, let's take a look back at Romans 1.20. It says, we have seen, or, oops. it says, for his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. When the day of judgment comes and we stand before God, the excuse that we didn't know that there was a God is not acceptable. We don't have an excuse. We, because of who God is, and what he has done for us are without excuse. You cannot look at all of creation today and say that there is not a God. Every human is accountable to God. Aaron talked several weeks ago about what the non-acknowledgement of God turns into. We talked about how when the human race decides to refuse to acknowledge God, even though knowing who he is in Romans 1.21, that God decided to give them over to their sins, starting in Romans 1.24. So just like a parent does after telling a child over and over again that whatever they are doing is wrong and will lead 
to consequences. After the child does it over and over again, eventually the, the parent just lets them reap the consequences, right? We talked about how God first delivered them over to the desires of their heart in Romans 1.24, and then delivered them over to disgraceful passions in Romans 1.26. Guys, I know I'm not a parent, but I know that my parents would say that at one point growing up, I was a child that thought he knew better than they were. They did. Anyone else like that or have kids like that? Anybody else in that situation? It's okay. You're in good company. My point being that they told me not to do things on many occasions, and I would not listen. Parents, teachers, people that work with children or even teens, how often do you tell them not to do something or there will be consequences? And they still end up doing that, doing what they are told. So let me give you an example. When I was about six or seven, I was in this thing called Royal Rangers. Basically, it's a Boy Scouts for church. Yes, it sounds as cool as it, as it is. We were at one of the leader's houses for an outing. We were playing games, eating food, running around, acting like children do. And I looked up, and I saw sparks coming off of a trampoline. So me, being the curious child I was, I wandered over to the trampoline, and I wanted to know what's going on. They were fixing it. Something had broken on the trampoline, so they were, they were putting it together. And when I got over there, they looked at me, and they said, they got done. They said, do not touch this part. It's hot. I was like, no, it's not whatever, I got this. So we went back and forth for a couple of minutes, and finally he said, fine, go ahead and touch it. So I was like, okay. So I did. Let me tell you, it hurt. It hurt. I had a blister on my week for about, or on my finger for about two weeks. But the point of the story is, I refuse to acknowledge the leader's knowledge and his authority, and I thought I knew better than they did, and I didn't, and I ended up with the consequences because I wanted to do things my own way. So think about it this way. This helps me see this downward fall of sin that we're experiencing in Romans 1. So imagine a person takes a kayak into a river with a well-known waterfall. So let's take, let's take Niagara Falls, for example. Just imagine with me for a second that I'm going to take my kayak into Niagara Falls. I know that at the end of this, there's going to be a waterfall. And I eventually, in order to continue down the river, I'm going to have to go over this waterfall, right? So I know that my consequence of going through this is possible death because I don't know many people that survive going over Niagara Falls, but um, eventually I could die. So even though knowing that the end result is I still end up deciding going down the, total, uh, down the path of total destruction, right? So we've seen this drag towards a waterfall throughout the last portion of Romans. In Romans 1.24, it says, Paul, Paul says, God delivered them over to the desires of their heart. Pause there a second. Delivered over to the desires of their heart. What would be wrong with being given over to the desires of the heart, right? Wouldn't that be a good thing? Doesn't culture tell us to follow our own hearts? Doesn't God want us to be happy? Isn't this what makes us happy? Isn't that what the world tells us to do, to follow your heart, trust what your heart says? First glance at that verse, it seems like a good thing, right? Yet we know that this is a bad thing because this is a result of not acknowledging God. God is giving them over to his wrath. If you flip to Mark 7, 20 through 21, it says this. It says, what comes out of a person's heart is what defiles him. For from within, out of people's heart, comes evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, 
evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Guys, we don't want to be delivered over to our hearts. Our hearts are sinful. They are evil. They are dangerous. Jesus says it himself in that verse. Our heart, our desires are messed up. They defile us and drag us further along. When God delivers someone over to their own heart's desires, that's a dangerous place to be. Then after that, in Romans 1.26, God gave them over to disgraceful passions. Aaron said several weeks ago that when we refuse to acknowledge God, we set down a path of self-destruction. We as humans, while surrounded in sin, sit there and do things that degrade us. We do things that are not meant for the human body. Paul gives us examples of sexual sin and sexual self-destruction. Destroying and distorting God's intended purpose for our lives and our bodies, that self-destruction doesn't stop there. Step three of self-destruction starts in the passage that we're reading today. In verse 28, Romans 1.28, it says, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind. I'm going to call this part of Romans total self-destruction. It doesn't just stop there. Paul then goes on to say, so he says, God delivered them over to a corrupt mind. And then he goes, so that they do what is not right. We see this in society today. God's wrath pouring out amongst us all. The fact that God delivered humans over all three times is not that God is taking his hand off the situation. It's quite the opposite. This is God punishing sinners. This is some of the wrath of God. John MacArthur said that one of the ways we see wrath played out is by the wrath of abandonment. God is removing his mercy and grace and allowing us to reap the punishments of our action, but he's still in full control. Let me say one thing. When you refuse to acknowledge God, he's going to refuse to acknowledge you, especially on the day of judgment. Though while we are here on earth, we will never fully experience the full wrath of God, but we will experience some of it. Parents, this whole situation is like disciplining your child. When they misbehave, it's not that you just leave the child and walk away and you don't care about them. No, you still love the child. It's not that God no longer loves us, it's that he hates the sin. God is a just and sovereign God. Just like you may let your child reap the punishment, you punish your child because of disobedience, not because you hate them. Guys, we end up in this slippery soap of sin, which is my part, part two. So now that we understand what God's wrath is and how we got to this point, let's take a look at what happens as we get to this point. So check this out. Paul says that we are filled with all unrighteousness in Romans 1.29. It says they are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. That word, filled, when translated back to Greek, it also means satisfied. Why does that matter? When we are not running to God for our satisfaction, we have to fill it with something. We have to satisfy that void with something, right? Remember at this point, humans not acknowledging God has led to humans being delivered over to a corrupt mind. Back in Romans 1.21, it says that their thinking became worthless and senseless hearts became darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Guys, think of it this way. When we have a God-shaped, we have this God-shaped hole in our hearts that can only be filled by God. Let me tell you something. You, you can try to put a square peg in a round hole, and you may be able to make it fit, but at the end of the day, there's going to still be space. 
you're still going to need to fill it with something. Look, when we run to something that is not God, we are trying to find satisfaction in something that only God can satisfy. We are trying to fill that God-shaped hole with something that will not fit. If we chase after sin to satisfy us, we will normally run to it over and over again until eventually, in order for that sin to, uh, to continue to satisfy it, we're going to have to change it or we're going to have to amplify it to satisfy us even more. We have to continue to change the sin in order for the sin to satisfy us. Take King David, for example. He looked at a woman with lust. Guys, watch this progression. In 2 Samuel 11, 2-3, it says, One evening David got up from his bed, strolled around on the roof of the palace. From the roof he saw, roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So he sent someone to inquire about her. Guys, that wasn't enough for him. What did he end up doing? In 2 Samuel 11, through 11, 4, it says, David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. He committed adultery with her. At the end of the day, the satisfaction of lust was just not enough. So he had to go even further. If we continue to run to things that are not God, we will have to embrace those things and change them to fit our needs. But when we run to God for our satisfaction, God embraces us and changes us to fit his. Point three, sin is sin. The next three verses in this passage list, a, list out a whole lot of sins. Romans 1, 29 through, 38, through 31. It says, They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, and wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanders, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, senseless, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Guys, Paul does not just list what some are say, would say are major sins in this passage. What Paul does is list sins that we see today are socially acceptable right next to sins that are not. Envy and murder, they're right next to each other. Inventors of evil and disobedient to parents, they're sitting right next to each other as well. Guys, Paul's not the only one that gives us a list. Remember that verse I read earlier in Mark 7, 21 through 22? Jesus gives us a similar list. He says, For from within, out of people's hearts, come evil thoughts, sexual immoralities, thefts, murders, adulteries, greed, evil actions, deceit, self-indulgence, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. Notice that in this list, Jesus gave us murder, greed, envy, and pride. They're all next to each other. A lot of these smaller sins turn into larger, one, larger ones by the end of it. People that murder normally have hatred on, on their heart. People that steal normally are greedy or jealous. And people that commit adultery are normally, no, not normally, they are lustful. If we look back at King David, we see that lust wasn't enough. He had to commit adultery, and even after that, he ended up getting the woman's husband drunk. In 2 Samuel eleven thirteen, it said that then David invited Uriah to eat and drink with him and got him drunk. Guys, and then he sent him to the front lines to die. In 2 Samuel eleven fourteen through 15, it said that the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. Man, this dude delivered his own death note. That's crazy. In that letter, he wrote, Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting. 
then withdraw from him so that he is struck down and dies. Guys, lust became adultery, which became murder. Do you see the progression of sin? What about Cain and Abel? Look at Genesis 4, 3 through 5. It says, In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Fast forward to Genesis 4, 8. It said that Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Cain killed Abel because, out of hatred and jealousy. Jealousy became hatred, which became murder. You see the progression of sin? From little sins to major sins, sin is sin, and sin pulls us away from God. It matters, and it's dangerous. When we as humans decide to say what sin is okay and what sin is not, we look at God and tell him to step off the throne. We say that we know better than he does. What makes us think that as human beings that we have the right to tell God what is right or wrong? Sin is sin to God. Murder put Jesus on the cross and so did disobeying your parents. All of these sins, regardless of size or social acceptability, ends with the same consequence. What's the consequence? It's the destination of sin. This point four. In Romans 1.32, it says that although they know God's just sins, that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. Like I said before, all sin has the same consequence. It's death. In Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. Death has been the punishment for not acknowledging God since the Old Testament. Look at Noah and the flood. The world was wiped out with a flood because everyone but Noah and his family refused to acknowledge God. In Genesis 6, 5-8, it says, When the Lord saw that human wickedness was widespread on the earth and that every inclination of the human mind was nothing but evil all the time, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and was deeply grieved. Then the Lord said, I will wipe mankind whom I created off the face of the earth together with animals, creatures that crawl, and birds of the sky, for I regret I made them. Noah, however, found favor with the Lord. How about Pharaoh, when he refused to acknowledge God in Exodus 5, 2, after Moses tells Pharaoh to let God's people go? They went through 10 pl plagues, and that last one, and the last one, his, his firstborn son was killed by the angel of death in Exodus 12, 29. And then after that, Pharaoh still refused to acknowledge who God was and decided to chase after the Israelites. And in Exodus 14, 28, all of Pharaoh's men ended up doing the dead man float. Not to forget that humans, humanity's lack to acknowledge God put Jesus on the cross. But even humanity knows the just sentence of sin, yet they still try to justify their actions. They try to make them seem okay. It's not that they don't know, it's that their thinking is worthless. Although they not only try to justify it for themselves, but they even try to justify it for others. We see this in society today. Sin that we know is wrong as Christians being applauded and praised. These sins being fought for that are absolutely beyond acceptable trying to be put into practice. We see war and hurt in the world because of sins that we find acceptable. People change verses in the Bible just to fit their needs. When we as Christians sit back and accept these, we're holding the door to hell open and we're letting the lost walk right in. 
God gives everybody a chance. This is why we have the gospel, because humanity's lost. So my final point is that we still have a chance. Everyone's lost, everyone sins. In Romans 3.23, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And as we read back in Romans 1.32, that the consequences of sin is death, Paul even states in Romans 6.23 that for the wages of sin is death. So where do we go from here? I just told you that we've all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God, and that all sin leads to death. We don't have a shot, right? Guys, we just talked about what the non-acknowledgement of God is and where that leads. But when we acknowledge who God is, we accept and we accept what he has done for us, everything changes. When we accept that God sent his son to die on the cross for us, we get to look forward to eternity in heaven. Our salvation doesn't rely on all of our good works. It doesn't depend on how much we read the Bible. And it's not about how many theological terms we know. It has nothing to do with us, and it has everything to do with what Jesus did for us. Guys, check this video out. Think about the thief on the cross. And what an immense, I can't can't wait to find that fellow one day to ask him, how did that shake out for you? Because you 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 were cussing the guy out with your friend. You've never been in a Bible study. You never got baptized. You, ne- you didn't know a thing about church membership. And, and, yet, and yet, you made it. You made it. How did you make it? That's what the angel must have said. You know, like, what are you doing here? Well, I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, because like, I don't know. Well, you know, we, uh, uh, did you, Excuse me, let me get my supervisor. They go get the supervisor ranger. So we have just a few questions for you. First of all, are you, are, you, are, you, are you clear on the doctrine of justification by faith? <laughs> the guy said, I've never heard of it in my life. And, and what about, let's just go to the doctrine of Scripture immediately. This guy's just staring. And eventually in frustration, he says, on, on what basis are you here? And he said, The man on the middle cross said, I can come. Guys, sin is sin. And some sin may seem larger than others. But at the end of the day, when we do acknowledge God and accept that he sent his son to die on the cross for our sins, we don't have to face his full wrath. We don't have to worry about the just punishment of death. We get to look forward to eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. So as I recap what we went over, if the praise team can go ahead and come on up. Guys, we got to this point because humanity refused to acknowledge God. We are filled with unrighteousness, and that leads to a slippery slope of sin. Regardless of which sin we commit, sin is still sin, and sin leads to death. Humanity is lost, but they still have a chance. Guys, if today we choose to acknowledge who God is, and that he sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross for our sins, and we mean it. If you do that today, and you ask Jesus into your heart, you can know that when you stand at the gates of heaven, you get to look, and you get to say that I'm here because the guy on the middle cross said I could come. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for letting us be here today. Lord, I pray that as we walk out of here today, we know that we live sinful lives, And I I pray that 
we know that in the end, ultimately, though we live sinful lives, we still have a way out of that. We still have somebody that saved us from the punishment of our sins, and that's you, Jesus. And I thank you for just dying on the cross for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.